his diagnosis. And yet on many drives, especially towards the end, prime for my role as Robin to his Batman, hitman to his mob boss, general to his commander-in-chief, I would sense Andrew's energy sag. I would feel less a warrior than a driver, a chauffeur, his wingman at the wheel, who had his back, but had no power, none at all. I wanted to be a superhero. I wanted to save him, or at least be his enforcer. I would have done anything to carry out the hit on his motherfucking cancer. But the gun sounded, ending the fourth quarter. The bell rang, stopping the bout. The battle ran out of steam. And the warriors retreated. And all I could do was watch and comfort him. And drive him. Ultimately, I did do more. I learned from him. When the battleground shifted and the tide turned and we both knew without saying anything that he'd lost, he changed the focus. If this were a football game, he reversed strategy from the long bomb, a Hail Mary, to a handoff. Andrew had much to hand off to me in too short a time. A lifetime's worth of wisdom, a lifetime of living, in little more than a year. In order to take it all in, to absorb all he held in his heart, these lessons he was determined to pass on to me, I had to change, to make myself over, and quickly. I had to perform a 180, a complete turnaround, a total revolution. I was working well above my pay grade. I felt as if I had to undo my DNA. I had to transform myself from a self absorbed, non stop talker to a quiet and keen listener, from a Hall of Fame narcissist to a world-class giver, from a wall-crashing lunatic to a calm and cool observer. We both knew I was a work in progress. Well, we all are. But having once been Andrew's project on the radio, raw but willing, I had now become his project in life, as well as his primary chemotherapy partner, and designated spokesperson to his close community of friends and co-workers. He chose me because he knew he could count on me. He knew I would show up every day, upbeat and positive, and that I could read his moods, get him to laugh when he appeared ready to slide too far downhill, inform him of anything he needed to know in the radio world he ruled, where I too worked. And he knew I would shut up when he required quiet to reflect, to remember, or just to be. In other words, I knew him and cherished him, and Andrew knew that and relied on that. He trusted me with his life and his death. He knew I was eager to learn, not by asking questions, but by simply observing. He saw in me reflections of himself, not the least of which thrummed the consuming need to connect at all times, professionally and personally, to listeners on the air and loved ones in our lives. We both got ultimate fulfillment by matching people up and putting them together and then watching them click. Andrew did it for me constantly, joyfully, connecting me to Tom Looney, my co-host of nine years on the radio, to the Oakland Raiders, today going on 16 years and to the woman who saved me, 
my wife of 14 years, on that magical and fateful night in which we sat ringside, literally at the feet of the Rolling Stones, doused liberally by showers of Mick Jagger's spit. I called Andrew the King Kong of Connectors. He wore that title like a championship belt. At the end, wordlessly and happily, he passed on that honor to me, confident I was worthy to carry on connecting in his name, the first of many handoffs. We don't have much time, he said, on one drive when we were running late, his voice cracking. I thought he was referring to his appointment, but when I caught the sparkle in his eyes, which he slowly closed before tilting his head back against the seat, I knew he meant something else, something more. This September morning, the red light changes, and I turn left and watch the small stucco houses disappear on the right side to be...